0: Let's turn our Bibles please to the book of Hebrews in chapter 1. Having completed our introductory message to the book, we're now starting into the chapter and we're looking, Lord willing, at verses 1 through 3 and uh, very packed um, verses, so much just in this first chapter and even in these first three verses that we'll be looking at here this morning. But for this morning, I'm going to read from verses 1 through 14, even though we'll be uh, focusing predominantly on verses 1 through 3. Let's read, it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory... And the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father." And he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. A sceptre of righteousness is the sceptre of thy kingdom. Thou hast love righteousness, And hated iniquity, therefore God, even thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word and surely, Lord, it is beyond the ability of any preacher to do uh, the justice uh, to your word that it deserves, Lord. But we thank you that you have bestowed your treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency and the power might be of God and not of men, That you and your name alone might be glorified. Um, Lord, for without you we can do nothing. And it's ultimately, Lord, that you who we lean upon and who we need, Father, for the delivery of the word and for the hearing of the word, and then also the ability, the grace, Lord, to obey and then to go through and to do it, Lord, to do what you've commanded. So, Father, we just pray for the much needed help of the Holy Spirit um, this morning, that our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ would be honoured and glorified, that the Spirit of God would see fit to own this message. And Father, that you would just simply use it in the hearts of your people as only you can do by your Holy Spirit. So we ask for your help, Lord, and we do give you thanks in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, for it's in His name we do ask these things. Amen. For people out there who do not believe in the deity of Christ, Hebrews 1 is a wonderful chapter to deal with that heresy and to... Uh, deal with the fact that Jesus Christ is truly, indeed, the Creator God, and we're going to see that as we go through here in this passage and, and even here in these verse, first three verses. But for a title for this morning's uh, sermon is, The Son Superior to the Prophets, and as a theme for the book, Hebrews, The Lord Jesus Christ, The Better Way. And really, this is what uh, the, the writer here is ha- having to do is to show to the Jewish believers how that everything is better in Christ. Okay, that we have a better sacrifice and that we have a high priest, and shows that how the, how Christ sacrifice is better to the Old Testament ones and how they were only a shadow of what was to come, and deals with these things. But the Son superior to the prophets, and uh, I've drawn quite heavily on multiple uh, works here, and I'd like to give you some introductory uh, thoughts here uh, on these ver- verse, on these first three verses from my father, Pastor Ian Weston, and also from G. Campbell Morgan. Says, uh, Pastor Ian Weston says, In these majest, majestic words we have set forth the matchless person and work of the Son of God. Where in all Scripture can we find such a wonderful description of Him? With these words we enter as through a portal into some great cathedral, in which the worshipper finds Him in every glance and view. Here the worshipper sees Christ, the incomparable, adorable Christ, Of God. He sees him in his supremacy over angels, messengers, prophets, and priests. He is the altogether lovely one, whose face is seen in all the scriptures. In these opening words we find the major theme of the Book of Hebrews, the entire treatise finds its source and germ in these words. And G. Campbell Morgan writes, In the opening paragraph we have a sevenfold description of the Son. He is first heir of all things. Secondly, through him, through whom he fashioned the ages. Thirdly, in him he is the effulgence of the divine glory. Fourthly, he is the very image of his substance, that is of the essence of deity. Fifthly, he is spoken of as upholding all things by the word of his power. A reference to the maintenance of the moral order. Sixthly, he is revealed in redeeming activity, making purification of sins. Finally, his administrative position is declared, he sat down on the right hand of the Majesty. On high, so truly a rich passage here we have before us. So, first of all, two main points. First of all, we're looking at the glory of his sonship, the glory of his sonship, and we see that the, see the revelation of the Son of God, the revelation of the Son of God, and it says here, God who at sundry times. "...and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets." So speaking about time past, and that God has spoken. And that is a great fact to the authenticity and the truth that there is a God, is the fact that God has spoken. I remember working with one guy who was an electrician, he was quite a grumpy electrician named Steve. And, uh, you know, that you would call the optimist is someone who sees their glasses half full. I think Steve was the pessimist, you know, whose glass was half empty you know, he's often grumpy about things and not a very uh, not, not such a nice mood in the way he was, you know, there's a little bit of rain and of course that gets mud in his boots, so just enough rain to be a pain, you know, and he was upset and well, one day we're in this house and I hear him yelling, you know, because he's trying to get these marks on the floor to transfer up to the ceiling for his downlights and, you know, all the, fit, all the skirting and everything's on it, so what's up Steve, what's up mate, come in, give him a hand and, and everything, Anyway, one day I, I spoke to him and I, I tried to sort of broach the, the subject of the true, the true things we need to know about in life, and of course the Gospel, but tried just in a, in a question to try to draw him out a bit. I just asked him, I said, what do you think is the main purpose in life or the main idea in life? Some, something along those lines one day. And he said, well, he said, well, I reckon we're all, we're all just bacteria <laughs> in some giant's gut. Now, question, how do you actually know you are not bacteria in some giant's gut, which is in the gut of another giant, and another giant, another giant, another giant, another giant, you know, which is in the gut of something else? Well, quite simply, because God has spoken. That's how you know. Spoken to us. We don't simply have a book of philosophy of life before us, cunningly devised fables, uh, stories and legends and myths by which we just simply try to find something to help us through life but we have God's revelation in that He has spoken to us and that is how we know that we are not such things or other. So we see the revelation here prior to the incarnation, God who at sundry times in diverse manner spake in time past under the prophet, fathers by the prophets and God has spoken to His creation and God has done so multiple times and in, various ways. in at sundry times and in diverse manners. And God communicated predominantly through the prophets to the Jewish nation. He spoke unto the fathers by the prophets. And the Jewish nation was to be that light to the nations which surround us. So God has, throughout history, spoken to His creation because He loves us. Wonderful thing, wonderful truth. And we see that God wants to communicate. God wants to communicate with His creation. And we shun that heresy which is known as deism heard of Adoniram Judson? He was once a deist. What's a deist? Someone who believes that God created the world and then basically is then indifferent to us, that there's no revelation, that God does not interact with us and, and basically he leaves us and uh, and, then, and then basically from there uh, he has no longer any involvement with us but not true. question was once put to, to Richard Dawkins... You know, basically, if you were to meet God, what would you say to Him? Okay, and blasphemous man that He is, He said uh, something. Uh, said said to us, sir, why did you hide yourself so? Ridiculous, yeah, ridiculous. When you, when all you can see around you and through the revelation of God that God exists, and yet He says, "Oh, why did you hide yourself so?" Now, actually, remember in the Garden of Eden, who was hiding? Man was. Who was wanting to find man and, you know, God obviously knowing where he was, who was seeking for man and wants to deal with this issue and wants to have connection with his his creation and to speak to him, it was God and it was man that is hiding and it's Richard that's hiding. But yet we see that God wants to speak to his creation and how often even as believers perhaps that we fall into this trap that somehow God is a long way away and not close to us and within us. His Spirit and wants to have communion, to have fellowship with us, and we're going to see that in Hebrews, how that Christ has opened the way to fellowship with the Most High God. We see the revelation not only uh, prior to the incarnation, but by the incarnation. Here, the the superior aspect of the revelation it says that God, who at sundry times in diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, and so with the, the, the Jewish believers, perhaps they would look back to the prophets and there would be such admiration and such respect and uh, they would have for the Old Testament prophets and learning of them and learning from them, from what they have written. And, uh, and although that is not to be diminished, here Christ is lifted up and placed above the Old Testament prophets and said, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Or some would render it in, in Son, okay, without the, the His there. His is the inserted, but by or in His Son, it is by the Son of God that He speaks, has spoken to us now in these last days. Some people think that God is unknowable. Remember that? Speaking to a farmer one time. Didn't, it wasn't, I think, that he didn't believe there was a God, he just said that we believed that God was unknowable. He said it more, more than once, you know, God is unknowable. But no, God does want to know His creation. And has spoken as he lived, that man lives in the dispensation in the time period where God, in particular, has spoken by His Son. And John seventeen three says, "And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent." And you know, and that is what eternal life is. Is is obviously it is receiving Christ as Lord and Savior, receiving forgiveness. But eternal life is to know God. It's to know Him. And uh, I remember one day speaking with a, a Jehovah's Witness and this, uh, this is the point that I really pinned him on. I said, when did you come to know God? He tried to said, well, you know, that's why, you know, we study the Bible so we can know, when did you know God? And I told him, I said, see, you have... and he said, oh, the first time i prayed a genuine prayer, and I said, see, you have not known God because if you don't know Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, as per the Scriptures, you don't know God. And he got very angry. And you know, it's possible to know about God, but not know Him. And so many people know about God, and they know about Christ, but they do not know Him. Remember how Philip said to the Lord, he said, You know, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? But when we see Christ, we see God in in all that He is, and it's through Christ that we know know the Father. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal Him. And you know, just what a God, just perhaps stop and just devotionally think of this, of the God that we have who wants to know us and would come in a human form, that He might know us and that He might draw us unto Himself. Does that not impact you? Andrew Murray says, When man speaks, it is the revelation of himself to make known the otherwise hidden thoughts and dispositions of his heart. When God, who dwells in light that is inaccessible, speaks out of the heights of His glory, it is that He may reveal Himself. He would have us know how He loves us, and longs for us, how He wants to save and to bless, how He would have us draw nigh and live in fellowship with Himself. And you know, what a terrible thing that, you know, to, I mean, what a wonderful thing to be saved but not to avail ourselves of the avenue of fellowship to, to know God and yet that God desires and wants to know His people and here the challenge. He says, again, another, uh, another thing He says, He says, surely they who have begun to know Him will be ready to cast aside everything for the sake of hearing Him. Surely they who have begun to know Him will be ready to cast aside everything for the sake of hearing Him. That's challenging, isn't it? And you know, our Lord Jesus was not merely a medium for truth, just as the prophets were. Okay, And that was obviously a great honour that those men would be able to be that medium for that truth. But you know, our Lord Jesus was not only the medium for the truth, but He in fact is the truth. He Himself was the embodiment of it. John 1.14 says, "And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was full of the truth, but he was the truth." John fourteen six. Jesus saith unto him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me." And no religious leader in the world has ever been able to make that claim but him, because the Lord Jesus Christ is the truth. And you know, and it's the answer of every soul. You know, even in, you, know, you can be in a church which preaches Christ and still not know Christ, and yet He's the truth. And each person, young or old, must come to that place where they accept Christ as Lord and Savior. John one nine says that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And you know, people say, well, "What about people who've never ever heard?" You know, you hear that question, don't you? What about people over you know in the you know in the jungles or in you know some remote place of Africa or whatever, and they and they haven't heard about Jesus. You know what about those people? Because Christ is the light that lighteth every man. And you know, and, and I believe that God gives enough light to people that they can know the truth. And you know, and there are times where people who, who they may be very remote and they may not know Christ, but when they desire to know what is true, that's what we have what we call missions, and people actually go there and give them the gospel. God says, "Okay, here's someone who wants to know." And sends the missionary there and then there the Word of God is preached, the Gospel is preached and people get saved. Others, not bothered. Our Lord said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. No one's without excuse for not knowing Christ. No one has an excuse, excuse me, for not knowing Christ. And then... For believers, can I just put this here as a challenge? Are you taking the time to listen to the voice of the Son speaking to you through His Word, by His Spirit? Are you walking with God in such a way that you might hear the voice of the Son in daily life? His comfort, His direction and His conviction. Living a life of sin, continually disobeying God... Disobeying the Spirit of God, where every time the Spirit of God convicts you and the Spirit of God's voice becomes quiet and then not even getting so much as much conviction as you ought to from the Spirit of God because you've become hardened, your conscience has become hardened and the Spirit of God's been grieved in your life. And Murray says, When God speaks in His Son, He gives Him to us, not only for us and with us, but in us. He speaks the Son out of the depth of His heart into the depths of our heart. Men's words appeal to the mind or the will, the feelings or the passions. God speaks to that which is deeper than all, to the heart, that central depth within us, whence are the issues of life. Let us believe the mighty quickening power God's word will have. So important, you might listen to the word of God and allow the the Spirit of God, the Son of God, to speak to you by the Spirit of God by using the word of God, whether it be in church or at home. Perhaps we can use this verse here that God, some words here of, of, of the Lord that He said in Luke 9:35, says, "And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, "This is my beloved son. Hear him. Are you listening? Are you hearing him? Are you listening for his voice? As the song says, I want to stand on higher ground to know His voice the sweetest sound no turning back i'm heaven bound lord lift me up to high ground and to listen for the voice of the son the beloved son of god hear him you know sometimes people hear him but they won't obey him he tells them the son speaks to them by the spirit of god and they hear but they do not follow through And no wonder the relationship between them and God is thwarted again and again because they hear but will not obey. We also see the deity of Christ here when the fact that Jesus Christ is referred to as the Son of God. People don't don't understand what the Son of God means. Door knocking yesterday with Brother Sean went to a Muslim house and they didn't understand the concept of what the Son of God is. Trying to explain to the young guy, his mum came to the door for a bit there as well, talking to the young guy and trying to explain to him what the Son of God means. Because he said, oh, where's God's wife? Don't understand it, they're thinking in the wrong way that that's what the Son of God means, doesn't mean that. But when Jesus is the Son of God, He's not the Technon of God, the physical Son like we would be, okay, like I would be of my Father, but the huios meaning same nature as. So the Son of God has the same nature as God. That's why the Jews were so angry and wanted to kill him. John 10.33, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. John 10.36, just jumping down a little bit, in that same passage, Say ye of him, this is our Lord, whom the Father has sanctified and sent to the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. They knew. And then John 19.7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, this is when he's before Pilate, Lives, and by our law, He ought to die, because He made Himself the Son of God. Okay, so Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. James M. Flanagan says, To deny the eternality of the relationship on the premise that that would require eternal inferiority. Okay, you got cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses are desperate to try and make Christ inferior to the Father. That would require eternal inferiority is to betray a gross ignorance or negligence of Hebrew thought and culture and ignorance, too, of the general presentation of sonship in the other New Testament books. is not, to be the Son of God is not inferiority. Next we see the appointment of the Son of God. It says, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. So the appointment there is that he is the heir. And we believe are, 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 be, are referred to as being heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ in Romans 8.17. And even the fact that our Lord is the heir of all things can be seen in the parable of the wicked husbandman, Mark twelve six to seven. Having yet therefore one son, his well beloved, he sent him him also last unto them, saying, "They will reverence my son." But those husbandmen said among themselves, "This is the heir; come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours." So, just as a father prepares things for his son to receive as his heir. Okay, every illustration is limited, so Christ is appointed to receive that which His Father prepares, which is namely, all things. Which takes us to the scope of His appointment, all things. And uh, there are those who think that this world is in their hands, but all things are Christ's. And He will rule and reign on the earth. People think that they are are planning the the direction that this world is going to go in, and the way that they're going to... Uh, manoeuvre things and manoeuvre peoples and, and, you know, and laws and all these things, but all things are Christ and uh, He will rule and reign on the earth. We also see in verse 2 that He is the co-creator, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the world's. This is another point which proves, again, the deity of our Lord. We can couple this with Colossians 1, 16-17, "...for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist." So Christ made all things but yet yeah, amazing that our Lord Jesus as God, the Creator God, actually came into the world that He made. John 1.10 says, He was in the world and the world was made by Him and the world knew Him not. Made this world, came into this world, was made by Him and yet His own creation did not know Him. Amazing that He came... "...as a man into the very world which He created and and came and was able to be willingly mocked and crucified by His creation. He created the dust upon which He walked. He created the water upon which He walked. He created the fish which were caught in the disciples' nets. He created the virgin by whom He was born. He created the Pharisees who hated Him. He created Pontius Pilate." He created the iron which was forged into nails for His crucifixion. He created the timber from which His cross was formed. Made all things and yet came that He might redeem us unto Himself. God coming in human form to us. Andrew Murray says, The place the Son had in the divine being was such that God's relation to all that was outside of Himself was only through the Son. Of all that exists, the end and the beginning meet in Him. And He is the middle too, upholding all things by the word of His power. Next we see that Christ is the glory of God, verse 3, beginning of verse 3, who being the brightness of His glory. I love the way, this beautiful way it's put here, who being the brightness of His glory. And again, Andrew Murray says, He is the outshining of God's glory and the express image of His substance. As we only know the Son by the light that shines from it, so is Christ the outshining, the revelation of God's glory. Think about it, it was our Lord Jesus in Genesis 1-3 who said, Let there be light, and there was light. And how rightful it was that He could say, I am the light of the world. <clears throat> John one says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John 8 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And so that was our Lord, and, and is our Lord, the express image of, of God, the brightness of God's glory, and uh, and he is in in essence the very light of the world, the one who created the light of the light, the actual light, and then is the light of this world. But John one five says. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness did not lay hold of that light. And what a sad thing when people refuse to actually lay hold of that light, as it were, to receive salvation. They know it's there, but for some reason, well, because of sin, they leave it. And why stay in the darkness of sin when you can come to Christ, who is the light of the world, for forgiveness? And are you beholding the glory of Christ in the Scriptures as a believer? Are you looking to the Scriptures and beholding His glory? We see that He is the image of God. It says, the express image of His person. And put in simple terms, to see Jesus Christ is to see God in human form. It is. The express image of, of, of uh, His person. So Jesus Christ is the very image of Of God and what first Timothy three sixteen says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Being the very image of God, to see Christ is to see God. And John Phillips says, moreover, Christ is the express image of God's person. The phrase express image refers to something engraved or impressed. As, for instance, a coin or seal that bears line for line all the features of the instrument making it. The idea is that of a die impress. The lines of deity have been reproduced in Jesus' humanity, so to find out what God is like, we need only look at Jesus. We can take the lines of Christ's personality and draw those lines on out into infinity and obtain a perfect concept of God. See Christ is to see. God, the express image of his person. Colossians 2 9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. To see Christ is to see God in all his fullness. You know, people say sometimes, Oh, you know, I'm just looking at this situation and I just want to do what, what Jesus would do. You know, and you say, and you know, someone's saying, you know, it's, it's wrong, you know, as per the Bible, by the Scriptures, you can't do that, you can't make that decision. Well, I'm just trying to think, you know, what, what, would, what would Jesus do? Well, look into the Word of God and see what Jesus, who is God, would do and does do. What did He say about that very issue? What did He, what did he do? <laughs> what, what does His Word say? The whole, whole book is Christ's Word to us. What does He say about that issue? And they get a wrong concept of who Christ is. But look, if you want to see who Christ is, Christ is God. Look at what He says and what He does in the Scriptures and that will tell you. You know, it's so important that people actually see Christ for who He is, that they see Him truly as God. There's one lady who came to this church once, made a profession of faith, baptised here in this church and eventually went off into apostasy and uh, was even dealing with some sort of a spirit medium and she contacted my dad and wanted to know her baptism date. And she said something like, you'd die if you knew why I wanted it. Dad gave it to her and asked her to tell me why. She said, I've been seeing this medium and he wants to disconnect me from my past. And my dad asked her... Um, I think, what what was it basically, I forget the way he puts it, but basically what was it that made you turn away or, or whatever? And uh, or I can't remember if he asked her a specific question about Christ, the person of Christ. And, uh, you know, she looked back with fondness on her days as a fundamentalist, but when she spoke of our Lord, she said, I guess I never really saw him as divine. Never really saw him as God. It's a fatal error. You can't be saved unless you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the express image of God's person and you must believe that, there's no safety in some figment of your imagination of someone called Jesus, who is not Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And so that is a vital thing, that when someone comes to Christ, they come to the Lord Jesus Christ, He is not the Mormon Jesus, the brother of Satan. He is not Michael the Archangel, the Watchtower Jesus or the Christadelphian Jesus, but He is the Lord Jesus Christ, the express image of God. To see Him, you see God in human form and whatever you need to see about God, you can see it by seeing Jesus Christ. Have you seen Christ for who He is? The Almighty Jehovah God, the Almighty Lord Jesus Christ. Have you fallen in that reverence before God the Father in repentance over your sin and seen that the only way, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ who is both God and man? And then as a believer, are you seeking to behold Him, to behold Him for who He is, not as some figment of imagination but beholding Him as for who He is in the light of this book? We also see his power as God. Upholding all things by the word of His power. That's power. Upholding all things. Allow, just allow that. You've heard, heard it read, but thing. All things, upholding all things by the word of His power. How much can our word do sometimes? Not much. How many times do you tell your children over and over? Anyway, our Word, not much, but how much the power of Christ's Word, that He spoke the entire worlds into existence and then holds them there, holds the planets, holds the earth, Every, every element of it makes it work. Albert Barnes says, "...the phrase Word of His power is a Hebraism and means His efficient command." There could not be a more distinct ascription of divinity to the Son of God than this. He upholds or sustains all things. That is the universe. It is not merely the earth, not only its rocks, mountains, seas, animals, and human beings, but it is the universe, all distant worlds. How can he do this who is not God? He does it by his word, his command. What a conception that one simple command should do all this. And by the way, a created angel? holding the entire universe with one word, the word of His power? No, you have to be God. Upholds everything, not only that, but even upholds the body and the soul of the blasphemers and the sceptics, the heathens, people who hate God and yet their very physical anatomy, their mind is upheld by God's by the creative power of Christ until their time is ended upholds all things and by the way if Christ upholds all things by the word of his power is he not able to hold you and help you through the christian life is it not he who will allow you to make the finish line Is not He which will perform it in you? He shall be in you. And it'll be He who performs it. Also we see the glory of His sacrifice. Upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. And there is a twofold aspect to this. So great work of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. One is on earth and the other is. Is in heaven. Firstly, the earthly aspect of the work. Firstly, we see that it is an exclusive work. When He had by Himself purged our sins. By Himself, don't miss that. People were, are quite happy, or a lot of people would believe, yes, purged our sins, but it says by Himself. There was nothing else that could be added or subtracted from it. By himself. And that is that is where the whole aspect of Arminianism is just completely wrong or a works-based salvation or that we trust God Christ to save me and then my works are added to it that I might be kept. You cannot add anything to it because the purging of our sins and the completion of it is all Christ. He said, it is finished, done. The whole transaction was made and when you receive salvation, there is nothing that can take it from you. It's all yours. An exclusive work. There's nothing that you can add to it, not by works, not by religion, not by anything, not by my, any of our most sincere efforts can we obtain it, nor keep it. It is a free gift. Also, it is an entire work, purged our sins. Henry Murray put something very good here, and perhaps also very good in our, in our day and age, of a lot of easy believism. It says, Let us learn at the very outset that what God has to speak to us in Christ begins here. Sin must be cleansed away. This is the root thought of redemption. As long as we seek salvation chiefly from the desire of personal safety, or approach the study of Christ's person and work as the revelation of what is true and beautiful and good, we cannot enter fully into its power. It is the cleansing of sin God insists on in the desire so intense that He gave His Son to die for it. It is the intense desire after the cleansing of sins that all the way through the Christian life, the spiritual capacity to approach and enter into the salvation of Christ will be found. It lies at the root of all, it is the secret of Christian perfection. And in work, sin had to be purged. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins." Some people don't like the idea of there being blood, but it was blood had to be shed for our sin, to, that we might be cleansed and might be forgiven. But notice how it has to be dealt with. For salvation to be, effect, to be effectual, it has to be dealt with. People can't understand, so why, why does Christ have to die? or Why couldn't God just give forgiveness? And you know, why can't God just forgive people for what they've done and be merciful? Because God is both merciful and... And He is a God of justice as well. And if you try to, to say, well, God, just be merciful and loving, then God then thwarts His justice and is allowing criminals into heaven. If God gives justice without mercy, everyone's going to hell. There's no way out. And so this is how both are reconciled in Christ, is that the love of God and the justice of God is dealt with at that point in time, in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. But also, for believers, is that sin, sin needing to be dealt with, that we might have fellowship with Christ. Sin makes a barrier to fellowship, doesn't it? When we walk away from Christ, when we go our own way, and when we harbour secret sins, or harbour besetting sins, and don't deal with them, and it thwarts our fellowship. Now, it doesn't have to. I don't want you to think today, that if you're in that that case, that you are not able to go into the holiest of all, because you can... But the cleansing of sin and of dealing with that before God, of entering boldly into the holiest, into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus and asking for His cleansing, that He might cleanse you with true repentance and forsaking of that sin, that you then might have fellowship with Him. So, very important. Live in a day where basically people want to push the whole matter of sin aside, that somehow it doesn't matter really what I do, so long as I love Jesus. Jesus. You hear that? Sort of thing or, you know, well, we do all these things but God knows our heart. As though, sort of, you know, God knows our God knows that I love Him and so basically it doesn't really matter what I was doing on the weekend or through the week or what I've been thinking, doing, watching or whatever because God knows that I love Him. Try it in the real world. Oh, wife says to her husband, what are you doing with this other woman? Well, you know that I love you, you know my heart for you. Try doing it with your boss. Don't put in a day's work. You say, well, you, look, you know where my heart is. You know I love this company, you know I'm so loyal. It doesn't work. And our sin must be dealt with if we are to have true fellowship with Him that we might go. And the good thing is, the encouragement is, is that you can have that fellowship because you can go with boldness because of the blood of Christ. And the devil might say, you can't, go into the presence of God because of your sin. No, other way around, because Christ has made the way, you can go, you can go in, into Him and you can know that cleansing. Say, Lord, not for not for salvation, it's not talking about for salvation, but Lord, as your child, I've blown it, I've made a mistake, I've done wrong, Lord Jesus, cleanse me and will we put, can I please have my fellowship with you restored? And you can do that. Then we see also the heavenly aspect of the work. It says that sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Excuse me. Andrew Murray says, there he lives, opening up and keeping open the blessed access to God's presence and fellowship for us, lifting us up into and maintaining us in its enjoyment and in the power that prevails there, making the kingdom of heaven a reality within the heart. And how well that scripture puts it here in Hebrews ten nineteen to 22, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." So first of all, it's important that you make sure that you have the access, that you have Christ as Saviour, then you have access to God. And then the next question, are you availing yourself of it? Are you availing yourself of that access to God? You know, sometimes sometimes there'll be something in a message which stands out and just sticks with you. It might not have been necessarily, you know, a a, a sermon where there was a lot of noise or whatever, but just something that sticks with you. Something One of my, my brother Jeremy said when he was preaching here, which just seems to have stuck with me, he said, prayer was never meant to be distant. Prayer was never meant to be distant. And we pray as though God is far, far away from us and yet we can come right into His presence, into the holiest of all, by the blood of Jesus. And so my question, are you availing yourself of that access that He has made, that you don't have to feel as though God is some way, a long way away from you as a believer, but you can come before Him. And you say, but I feel like... You know, you don't know my past before I got saved, or even I've made some mistakes after I've been saved. And, you know, I could understand how some people could go into present, God's presence, but not me. You don't understand. Well, He's made the way by a new and living way which He hath consecrated. Christ has made this way for you. For you, He's made this access that you might be cleansed and that you might know Him not only as a saviour, but that you might know his cleansing as far as his child and to know fellowship with him. You don't have to pray and talk as though he is distant, but you can go straight in to the holiest of all and you can speak there with God. So avail yourself of that. Don't let it be your own heart or, or the lie of the devil that you cannot have access and cannot speak to God and avail yourself of it. Don't wait for a feeling, to feel like you can go in there or think, because this week I've been living to such a standard, I can enter in. You say, well, maybe I'll enter in but I don't feel like I can really enter in, you know, with, with, with any, anything, you know, any confidence or anything like that. Well, no, not in yourself but it says to enter with boldness. To go before God's throne with boldness because of what I am, no. But because of what Christ has done, and so avail yourself of it. Go into the holiest of all by the blood of Christ. Avail yourself of that of that access that He has He has made for you. And there, in that w- worship, and listen for the voice of the Son. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, we just thank you for the precious aspect, that precious access, excuse me, that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, uh, the and the express image of your person, the one who upholds all things by the word of your power, and truly you, Lord God, who are the almighty God, co-equal with the Father, who has made this way for us. Surely you would have us to avail ourselves of this uh, access that you have given us, that it is not for some so-called elite believers, but it is for every believer to come with boldness to the throne of grace. So we thank you for that, Lord, that you haven't, um, as it were, made a two-tier or a multi-tiered uh, system where some believers are shut out and only special ones can come in, but just like salvation is open to all, uh, fellowship with you is open to all of us, Lord. And so help us not to be so foolish as to neglect it but to come by faith and to enjoy it, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.